show our appreciation particularly to uh, Julie, who's leading us in our sung worship for the first time today, uh, and the rest of the team as well. Thank you for um, leading us so brilliantly. Well, for those of you I don't know, my name's uh, Chris, Chris Brockway. I have the joy of being involved in the leadership of the, the church here at CBC. Uh, the real privilege this morning of opening up our new teaching series. And I think this teaching series is going to take us on an exciting adventure. That's my prayer, that together as a church family, we'll go on an exciting adventure. You know, as I read my Bible, especially as I dig into the pages of the New Testament, it becomes very obvious to me that there was something going on. There was something that the early church were experiencing that I'd really like to experience something of. Firstly, we see the effectiveness of the church. Something was making that church effective. And then secondly, we see something going on in the lives, the individual lives of each of those Christians that they could be really purposeful, that they could be really effective for the kingdom of God. Firstly, they were being effective in the church. And secondly, there was something going on in their lives that was making a difference at an individual level. And I think that order is significant. When God moves by His Spirit, firstly, it's to bless the church. Secondly, it's to bless us in our walk with Jesus. And the difference, of course, was the ministry, the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was releasing His gifts into that church corporately and individually. And God was able to take this ragbag, disparate church and make them really, really effective in the mission and the ministry that He'd called them to. It was the ministry of the Holy Spirit that enabled this fledgling church to be used in ways by God which was utterly disproportionate to who they were. Utterly disproportionate to who they were. Isn't that a great prayer to pray? Lord, please, would you use me? Lord, would you make us to make a difference in this world that is utterly disproportionate to who we are? That's my prayer as we kick off this new teaching series. Of course, if you know the words of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you'll know that Jesus set out, uh, spoke out some words just before he ascended into heaven to be with his Father. And these were the last recorded words that Jesus spoke. And we can be absolutely sure if these are the last words that Jesus spoke, then these are significant words. He would have chosen his words carefully. And Jesus' words are really very clear. He says, look, don't try and do this journey of faith in your own strength. Take me with you. I am going to resource you if only you'll take me with you. More accurately, Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the very ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, if you think you're going to go to the ends of the earth, even to the end of the earth, which is Christchurch for Jesus, then don't go without me. If you think you can go without me, without my power, if you think you're going to make a difference or even make it at all without the equipping of God's Spirit, then you are sadly and badly mistaken. And that message still holds true today. The words of Acts chapter 1 verse 8 are still true for us today. Now in my 20 uh, years or so as a church minister, I've been a minister long enough to know that when you start talking about the empowering of the Holy Spirit, you always provoke one of three responses. One response is, yay! It's the yippee brigade. It's the people who can't wait to, to talk about the Holy Spirit. It's the positive response. The second response is, what? It's the, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. Please can we move on to something else kind of response. 
And then there's a third response, which is the, we're not going around this loop again, are we? It's the negative response. Now, for most of us, our response, whether it's, yay, what, or ugh, is probably more conditioned by your past experience or your fear about the work of the Holy Spirit than it will be about your well-thought-through theology. Whatever your response today, it will be more a response conditioned by your past experience over such things or your fear than it will be about a deeply held theological um, conviction about pneumatology. Do you agree? Some of you haven't got a clue what I'm talking about. (laughs) Pneumatology, the study, the thinking about the Holy Spirit. Most of us are responding out of experience or fear rather than out of theology. And my desire for us as we journey into this new teaching series is that our response will be theological, even if you haven't got a clue what that means. How do I know most of us respond that way? Well, a recent study revealed that 87% of Christians surveyed, and I don't think this is true of CBC, this is an average, 87% of Christians surveyed don't know anything about their spiritual gifts. Nine out of ten people do not know about their spiritual gifts, and that's a problem for the church. Now, some of us, like I've been, will have been on the receiving end of another person's supposed gifting in the Holy Spirit. And we've been freaked out by that, we've been confused by that, or maybe we've even been damaged by it. Far from building us up, far from encouraging us, uh, which, as we shall hear in a moment, is the very reason why spiritual gifts are given for the building up, for the encouragement of the church, maybe we've been taken advantage of by another person. And we need to say categorically this morning, that is not okay. Let me give you an example from my own life. I I once received a a prophetic word given by somebody as a thus saith the Lord. Can Can I warn you, if anyone ever comes to you, God says this to you, or thus saith the Lord, run a mile. But it was given to me as a thus saith the Lord prophetic word, and it said this, and I quote, that God will soon make you a great head teacher. That was 25 years ago. God is telling me that one day he's going to make you a great head teacher. And I can tell you that confused me for months. It confused me because at the time I was busy training for what I now do and love. If I'd listened to that word, I would not be doing what I'm doing now. Maybe you wish I'd become a head teacher. You see, far from prophetic, I think it was pathetic. But I only know that with hindsight. In the middle of that moment, I was confused and I was disorientated for months. And maybe you've had a a similar experience in your own journey of faith. And you know, experiences like that can leave us feeling very cynical and they can leave us feeling incredibly wary. It's not surprised if we feel a little bit of fear if that's been our experience. Well, others of us, of course, have been part of churches where they've had a hypo or an over-focus, we could say, on the Holy Spirit. And we found ourselves with the pastors swinging in the chandeliers for, for better or for worse. But you see, here's the thing. It's likely that the imbalance of that kind of teaching has unsettled and maybe even disappointed you because what you've heard proclaimed from the pulpit has failed to line up with the reality of your daily lived experience. If we have imbalance, we can end up feeling unsettled, we can end up feeling disappointed. And then for some of us, of course, our experience has been the polar opposite. We've been part of a church context where there's been much said about uh, God the Father, there's been much said about Jesus, and that's great, I don't want to knock that at all, 
but there's rarely been much said about God by the work of his Holy Spirit or God the Holy Spirit. Far from understanding the Trinity, we've come to learn about abinity, a two-person Godhead. Well, given our diversity that is well represented amongst us this morning, perhaps it's not surprising that our collective response is, yay, what, or ugh. You know, I always find myself walking a really interesting tightrope when it comes to the, the work of the Holy Spirit, and maybe you can identify with this. You see, there's nothing I want more in my journey with Jesus than to see God move even more in me and through me for his glory. I desperately, desperately want that. Maybe you can identify with that this morning. But there's a but. There's always a but, isn't there? And the but is this. I desperately don't want to be subjected to some of the crazy Christianity that I've had the misfortune of watching on YouTube. Do you know the people I mean? That guy who sells the holy water. It's only $10, and apparently it's going to make you well. Those name-it-and-claim-it preachers with the excessively shiny teeth and the excessively tight skin. I mean, how is their skin so perfect? Those churches that drink poison and handle snakes in the name of Jesus. I guess I could go on with some of this stuff. And you see, there's some crazy stuff out there, and we need to own that. And some of this stuff makes my mind boggle. It makes me do theological gymnastics to even try and make any kind of sense out of it. And maybe you can sense here the tension I'm trying to describe. I walk in it daily. I walk in that tension daily. And you know, I've concluded it's a good and it's a biblical place to walk, to always want more, but to always want more thinkingly, to walk that line between cynicism and faith, to be in that place where I, I distance myself from the, the undoubtedly counterfeit, uh, counterfeit and definitely lacking in, in, authority, in authenticity stuff, but at the same time, I really don't want to miss out on the genuine stuff that God might be doing, even if some of that genuine stuff sometimes conflicts with my 21st century desire for the rational, for the neat, and the comfortable. And you know, none of this is a new wrestle, and it's been around for 2,000 plus years. Just because you see someone who does something you don't understand, it doesn't mean that spiritual gifts are weird. Equally, just because you see someone do something that you don't understand, it doesn't mean that it is not of God. There's a theological word that describes that tension, and it's, ah, it's a tricky place to walk. But I think the wrong thing to do with our teaching series, which, by the way, if we haven't said it already, is uh, the gifts of the Spirit, the wrong thing to do is to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's a middle ground, and it's that middle ground which we will consistently commend to you during the teaching series in the few weeks that are ahead of us. It's the encouragement not to be cynical, but not to be gullible believer. And it seems to me that's the approach of the Apostle Paul. In his opening words in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll read them in a moment, Paul says this. He says, now about spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant. I do not want you to be ignorant. He says it pretty clearly, doesn't he? Or as the message version of the Bible puts it, I think this is so helpful. What I want to talk about now is the various ways that God's Spirit gets worked into our lives. And it says this. This is complex and it's often misunderstood. It's complex and it's often misunderstood, but I want you to be informed and I want you to be knowledgeable. When it comes to spiritual gifts, the very first thing that God, through the lips of Paul, says is it's complicated, yes, but I want you to be thinking and I want you to be informed. And then, as we'll see in a moment, Paul then goes on to say, but most importantly, more importantly than even being informed, perhaps, 
is that it must be loving. We have to be loving in our embracing of spiritual gifts. Be informed and be loving. You see, in Paul's day, it was these two crucial ingredients that were missing when it came to the exercising of spiritual gifts. And he says to the church in Corinth, enough, enough. If you're not exercising the gifts rightly in an informed way, and if you're not doing it lovingly, then stop, cease, desist. The Brockway translation, which is less partial, but hey, this is why Kay's on team. If it's not done right and it's not done loving, sit down and shut up. That's what Paul could have said. If it's not done right, if it's not done loving then do it, don't do it at all. And you know, on those occasions when I've been subjected to the questionable exercising of spiritual gifts by others, or in those situations when spiritual gifts have become the cause of friction in the churches that I've been leading, it's always without fail been because they've been wrongly exercised. And or because the person exercising their God-given gift, and often it is a God-given gift, is doing so with an other-than-loving agenda normally because they want to look good or they're trying to impress somebody or they're looking for a girlfriend or a boyfriend or something. And Paul's message is the same. It's enough. Stop. If your motivation is wrong, then cease. If you're doing it in an uninformed way, then stop. But the opposite is also true, isn't it? We shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Whenever I've seen spiritual gifts used rightly and they've been used lovingly, the church is always blessed and it always grows numerically and spiritually and missionally. And we end up achieving things for God that are utterly disproportionate to who we are, always, whenever the spiritual gifts are used rightly and lovingly. Well, let me give you a quick bit of context before we read the text about the church in Corinth. You see, they had a gargantuan problem. They were a very spiritually gifted church. It says so at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. They were not lacking in any spiritual gift, it says. The problem was is that they were using their God-given gifts in a way that was not right and in a way that was not loving. When they gathered together, they engaged in a kind of spiritual wrestling match where one person would try and competitively elevate their gift over the gift of another person to try and outdo them. The church in Corinth was suffering from conflict and confusion. It was prideful and it was opinionated. Doesn't that sound like a great church to be a part of? So Paul writes to this church and he says to them, look, here's my goal. My goal is that we'll end the conflict, that we'll establish peace, so that everyone in the life of the church will be able to exercise the gifts which God has undoubtedly given to you for my name's sake and for my glory. Paul is saying to the church, look, when we exercise these gifts for the glory of God, we glorify Jesus and we build up his church. When we exercise these gifts rightly and in love, then we'll maximize our effectiveness as a church. It's a win-win for the kingdom of God when we get it right. Now, we've probably got loads of questions about spiritual gifts, which we're going to tackle in ever-increasing depth as the course of this teaching series progresses. Even now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, what is a spiritual gift? I haven't got a clue. He hasn't told us. Do I even have any spiritual gifts? What's the purpose of spiritual gifts? Anyway, how many spiritual gifts are there? And maybe this morning you're saying, are the gifts really for today or did they end with the early church? Now, I know this matter of spiritual gifts can be really tricky to tackle. They can be complex and often misunderstood to quote the words of Eugene Peterson. We're going to have a really good go at it over the next few weeks. We're going to do it in a safe way. And we're going to do it in a way where we don't need to fear any fear. 
So whatever your response is today, whether it's yay, what, or uh, we need to be informed and we need to be loving. Now, that was just a preamble. Don't worry, the rest is really short. But in the time we've got left this morning, what I want to do is I want to feed you. I want to feed you with a great sandwich, and then I'm going to follow that up with some apple pie. Does that sound okay? You see, I want to give you the sandwich first because the sandwich is going to be the anchor for us as we journey on with this series. We're going to keep coming back to this series, we'll re- uh, to the sandwich. We'll repeat it every single week. And we find the sandwich in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where we're going to read a few verses And then we find the filling in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, and then we find a bit more of the sandwich in chapter 14. I'm going to read it to us. I make no apology for reading this in one go, because actually it needs to be heard together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you're following, uh, verse 1. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all, um, different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. And to another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them, each one as he determines. Paul then goes on to talk about the body, which is the church. Chapter 13, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, a creaking gate, as the message version puts it. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, always. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I taught like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, and then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. A few verses from chapter 14, and we're done. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And then the final words in chapter 14. But everything should be done 
in a fitting and an orderly way. Phew! Everything should be done in a fitting and an orderly way. So Paul's challenge to the church is really clear, isn't it? Look, God has given you some incredible gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, and you are ruining them because you are abusing them. And it's because these gifts have been so abused, even since the days of the early church, as we've just read, our human tendency is to neglect them, therefore, or to ignore them, or to, worse still, argue over them. You know, there's been nothing more divisive in the last hundred years, especially of the church, within the church, inside the church, than this topic, especially when we get to the theme of the gift of tongues. That's coming in two weeks' time. I bet you can't wait. You know, Christians say some horrid things about and toward one another over such things. If you do a quick Google search, then you can find all of the arguments for both of the sides. And what you'll also find is people throwing mud and rocks at one another. Brothers and sisters in Christ fighting over the gifts of the Spirit. You'll find speakers and authors who are ready and willing to discredit another believer. You'll find authors who are willing to humiliate another person and make them look um, absolutely crazy. And that's so incredibly sad, isn't it? And how dishonoring to our God. And there's a challenge for us, I think, as we journey into this series, is that we need to be really careful not to add our voices into all that dissent and into all that arguing. We can have an opinion, but we should express it lovingly. Perhaps it's no wonder, is it, that Paul goes on to rebuke this bickering church in chapter 12, beyond the section that we read, and he says, look, the church is a body, and the body is made up of many indispensable parts, and therefore you can't chop any of them off without being impoverished. And the single most important thing that we learn about spiritual gifts before we ever look at a single spiritual gift is that love must underpin their use. Love must underpin their use. If love isn't the underpinning ingredient, then don't even bother exercising the God-given gifts that you might have. That's essentially what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth. Well, I hope you're hungry. Here's your sandwich. You see, it's not by chance that the two most informative chapters on spiritual gifts are very intentionally and very strategically sandwiched between the chapter, which is arguably the most quoted, most basic, most descriptive, and most important chapter that's ever been written in the whole history of the world on the theme of love, 1 Corinthians 13. If spiritual gifts are the bread, then love, chapter 13, is the filling. And Paul's point really is a simple point, and it's one that we must grasp. Spiritual power without love leads to abuse. Spiritual power without love leads to abuse. That's what's happening in Corinth, and tragically, it's what's happening in the church even today. In fact, even beyond the church, you think about the history of the world. Power without love has led people to be controlled by other people, and sadly, the church is not um, immune from such corruption. In Jesus' day, think about Rome. Think in Jonah's day about Assyria. In 1940, it was Nazi Germany. In our day, it's Putin's regime. Maybe even it's happening in some of the relationships that we're involved in today. Power without love leads to abuse. Spiritual power without love leads to spiritual abuse. Enough is Paul's message. If it's not loving and it's not done right, then don't do it at all. 
You see, massive problems come in the life of the church when we read all of these chapters about spiritual gifts, chapter 12 and chapter 14, and then we read chapter 13 as if it's got nothing to do with spiritual gifts and it's only about wedding ceremonies. You see, 1 Corinthians 13 is not a wedding text at all. 1 Corinthians 13 is the crucial filling in Paul's spiritual sandwich around spiritual gifts. We ruin one of the greatest and one of the most life-bringing parts of the Christian faith if we operate outside of that sandwich structure when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. And so Paul is very intentionally saying to the church, and God would say to us today, stick within the sandwich and you'll be fine. So what is a spiritual gift? Well, this morning you get a very simple definition and we'll make them more complicated as we go along. A spiritual gift is simply a supernatural ability given to all Christians to do God's work on earth. An ability given by God to all of God's people without exception to make a difference first in the church and then overflowing into the world. Some of the gifts are dramatic, aren't they? Some of them are less so. Now, not many of us, as it happens, have too much trouble with the non-dramatic spiritual gifts, do we? In fact, half the time, we don't even notice that they're being exercised. But without these gifts, these spiritual gifts being exercised in the life of CBC, we would simply fall apart. In fact, you've already observed loads of spiritual gifts being exercised this morning in good administration that got us here at the right time. You've seen the gift of faith that anyone would even turn up this morning. It's a miracle. You maybe have experienced Julie's gift of hospitality as she gave you tea or coffee. Maybe you've exercised the gift of giving already or of service. You've seen leadership. We've seen teaching. We've seen creative skills on offer musically and technically from our techies. Maybe you've been the recipient of the spiritual gift of encouragement. We don't have too much problem with any of those gifts. But you know, here's the thing, if I wasn't operating in my spiritual gifts, I would have nothing of any value to say to you this morning, nothing whatsoever. You may as well go home. Maybe you think I've said nothing of any value. You, you, you clearly don't have the gift of discernment. <laughs> you see, some of the spiritual gifts are, are more dramatic, aren't they? And they're more controversial. It's the dramatic, the controversial ones that we like to argue about. And that's why Paul is speaking to the church here in Corinth. He's saying, look, you delight in all the non-dramatic ones, but actually when it comes to the more dramatic, controversial gifts, we're fighting over them. And that's why he focuses on them, and that's why we're going to focus on them over the next few weeks. These dramatic gifts are no more important than the less dramatic gifts. But that's where we're going to focus. Now, how do you know which gift you have? Well, there are lots of ways that we're going to explore in the weeks ahead, so do continue to journey with us. But what I want to do this morning as I finish is just to give you my favorite, most fun way of knowing what spiritual gifts you might have. And with this, I give you the apple pie. Now, please don't tell me you've gone home today not fed. I've given you a great sandwich, and I'm going to give you a fantastic apple pie. This is called the apple pie method of spiritual gift discernment. And what I want you to imagine for a moment is that you're sat at a table. There's a whole bunch of people around this table, like loads of people. And you're about to eat some apple pie. And the host has put the apple pie down in front of one particular person on the table. And the apple pie is about to fall off the table. As that individual puts their fork into the apple pie, it flops off the table and into their lap. You with me? You're around the table? Yeah? Observing all of this? Well, what do you do? 
Or just maybe what you do determines what your spiritual gift is. I wonder how many of us this morning would say, I told you, I knew it, I knew that was about to happen. I saw it happen before it even happened. I saw it coming to you. Well, maybe you've got the gift of prophecy. (laughs) How many of you, on the other hand, would have said, oh, let me help you. Look, here's a napkin. Let's wipe you down, wipe you up, wipe you around, whatever. Let's get you taken care of. I wonder how many of us are like that. Well, just maybe you've got the spiritual gift of serving. It's a spiritual gift, and I'm so pleased it's being exercised so freely in the life of CBC, the gift of serving. Some of you might well say, ah, I've researched this. I've read books about this. Do you know, if you'd done step one, followed by step two, followed by step three, everything would have been fine. Maybe you've got the gift of teaching. Maybe others of us would have gone, I really feel for you. Do you know that once happened to me one time? You don't need to worry about it. Everything's going to (laughs) be, everything's going to be absolutely fine. And you kind of just throw yourself on that person to make them feel better. Maybe you've got the gift of encouragement. Oh, how much the church of God needs the gift of encouragement. We're so blessed with it here at CBC. Maybe your response is different. You say, oh, so sorry that happened to you. Look, take mine. In fact, apple pies from everywhere. Come on, everyone, bring the whipped cream. Let's give the apple pie to this, this poor fellow. Maybe you've got the gift of giving. Others of us might say, we'll get this thing cleaned up in no time. And do you know what? I've got a vision. I've got a really great idea of how we can avoid this happening again in the future. God is going to lead us towards something really special over this apple pie. Maybe you've got the gift of leadership. And this is not me. Maybe as you look at the person, your heart just sinks. And you weep for them over the loss of their apple pie. You say to them, look, when that apple pie was falling onto your lap, I was just hurting for you. I was devastated at the thing that you were you were going through. Maybe you've got the spiritual gift of mercy or of showing kindness. I don't have that gift. (laughs) That would have been me. It's silly and it's flippant, but actually it makes a serious point. God has blessed his church with gifts that need to be exercised. All of the gifts matter. All of the gifts are important. And I wonder if you know what yours is. And then the follow-on question, of course, is are you exercising it? We're going to talk about all the controversial ones in the week ahead. But this morning, I really just want to affirm those of us who are just serving quietly, those of us who are using gifts just in the background without any pomp, without any ceremony or celebration. And this morning as a church body, we want to say thank you. Thank you for your indispensable gift because without it, we are impoverished. We'll have loads of fun with the controversial ones in the weeks ahead, don't you worry. But the takeaway for today, and you can take this as, I don't know, coffee or something that comes after the apple pie. There's a challenge from our text today is to do it right, to do it lovingly, or to not do it at all. 
Let's do it right. Let's be informed. Let's be loving. And let's bless the church of God. Let's bless the kingdom of God with the incredible gifts that he's given to us. Let's be still for a moment. Lord, I want to pray first off this morning for some of us who perhaps for really understandable reasons carry some fear around this whole theme. Some of us have got some pain and some hurt. And I just want to give just a moment before we race on for God to minister to that fear and to minister to that pain. I just sense this morning God needs you to hear that this is going to be a safe space for you over the next few weeks. We're going to walk that middle ground, that middle ground which, as Paul says, is done fittingly and in an orderly way. Lord, would you take those memories of difficult experiences and minister to them even now, I pray. Maybe others of us come with the what question. This is all new territory for us. I want to pray for you this morning that you would just know a boldness, a confidence, an excitement, perhaps an anticipation of what God might teach you in the weeks ahead. Come, Holy Spirit, come minister to us. Maybe you're the yippee yay person. Praise God for that. I really do praise God for it. And Lord, I want to pray for those of us who have got experience in all of this, that Lord, you would use us to equip your church and to glorify the name of Jesus. Lord, for those of us who know what our gifts are, we pray for their release to equip your church. For those who don't know, Lord, I pray that you'd reveal them to us. And Lord, we commit together, we covenant together this morning as a church family to exercise gifts rightly and to exercise them lovingly. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Our final.